0: We're led now into the time of, of fellowship with God where we are going to fellowship with him in his word. Uh, God leads us through Psalm 119. If you know Psalm 119, it's a it's the longest chapter in the Bible, but it's a it's a masterpiece on a fo- focusing on the word of God. It's a it's an acrostic based on the Hebrew alphabet. So if this were written in, in English using the English alphabet, the first 8 verses would start with the letter A, the next 8 verses would start with the letter B, the next And so on and so on. And we're to the third section now in verse 17 through 24. It says, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Take away reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. Family of God, we are about to hear the word of God proclaimed. Give heed to it. It is more precious than silver and gold.
1: I ask you to turn to your Bibles to the book of Romans. As well as the outline that's in your bulletin. Encourage you to take that out, use it to follow along and take notes. It's a delight to fellowship with you around God's word and specifically a passage that addresses the meaning of Easter. And Romans 1, 1 through 4 certainly qualifies as that passage. And uh, uh, we're gonna look at this just briefly this morning and fellowship around it. Worship is a time where God's people are called into the presence of a king. And in America, we don't have kings, and so we may may be ignorant of the protocol, but in olden days, when a king spoke, everyone stood out of reverence and respect. As we have come to worship a king, King Jesus, it's appropriate for us to stand at the reading of his word. So please stand together with me as we read God's word. here now the word of King Jesus. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power, by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. as far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, what a delight it is for us to bow together this day with open Bibles and I pray by your spirit, open hearts and the ability O Lord to fellowship with you thereby. Holy Spirit, do a work of grace, we pray, granting unction to us, your people, as we as we fellowship around your word, helping us to understand. Give me grace to preach with fidelity. Lord, may our faith be engendered and strengthened as we gaze upon Christ. We entrust this time to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So today, as we speak right now, millions upon millions upon millions of people all around the world are celebrating Easter and some are doing it in a variety of different ways here in the United States some of it will involve Easter bunnies if you're Dan or Sarah in Australia it's an Easter bilby if you're from Greece you'll be throwing clay pots in the street this afternoon oranges if you're Norwegian kite flying if you're from Bermuda Dressing up like witches, if you're from Finland. Throwing water on each other, if you're from Poland. And my favorite, an exploding cart, if you're from Florence, Italy. So, this afternoon, we'd have a cart, we'd light it up, and it would blow up. You know, these are all traditions, and they may make, in each of these areas, for a wonderful, fun tradition and, and memories. But sadly, for the millions upon millions participating in all of these things, most will miss the meaning of Easter. It makes me think of the mother or the older uh, a lady who was babysitting her grandchild, hearing upstairs the toilet flushing over and over and over again, and she went up there to figure out what's going on, and her little, her little grandchild had found her stash of $100 bills in her drawer, It was flushing $100 bills down the the drain. That is a complete disregard of the meaning of that dollar or of that $100 bill. And so many today have an incredible disregard for what Easter is. Paul gives us the meaning of Easter in this passage. And you and I both, if I were to ask you, hey, what's what's the meaning of Easter? Most of you would say today, the resurrection. And you'd be Right. But you wouldn't be complete. Because the resurrection is only one facet of the meaning of Easter. And that's what Paul turns to in our passage this day. He steps back one step and demonstrates and shows that Easter is all about Jesus Christ. Notice with me, Romans one. We read Paul, a bond servant of, of of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's Easter. Paul was set apart for the gospel, the good news of God, God's good news. That's the message of Easter, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Jesus Christ, from this passage, is what Easter is all about. It's all about his son. And we see that in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us what was Paul's message. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. When Jesus Christ was uh, proclaimed by Paul, that was the gospel. He proclaimed Christ and him crucified. Philippians 1, he said, for to me to live is Christ. In fact, his entire life was all about Christ. And the amazing part, if you read down just a little bit in Romans 1, Paul says that he has become a gospel man. His life is all about Jesus Christ. He has now become a gospel man. Galatians 6.14 But may it never be, Paul said, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul's glory, his passion, his joy, was the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what Easter is. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about Easter bunnies or bilbies, it's not about exploding carts, it's not about clay pots and water being thrown upon people, it's about Jesus Christ his person and his work here described as, would you notice uh, with me, Jesus Christ our Lord incredible, the very end of verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus is, comes from the Hebrew word um, um, Yeshua which means salvation when the Christ was named Jesus at his birth he was named Jesus because it is he who would take away the sins of his people Christ is his messianic title. It means the anointed one, the savior, the one chosen by God to to redeem. And then the last word, Lord, speaks of his sovereignty, his glory, and his dominion. Um, As Christ says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Notice the phrase, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's a message there. It begins with the savior who's the deliverer who reigns as Lord. That's Easter. That's what Easter is. Well, in what way is that Easter? Well, Paul is going to focus on two facets of Jesus' identity here. Would you notice with me verse 3? He says, The gospel concerns his son, who is born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. See that phrase, according to the flesh? That means he's human. Paul says, as a human, this is what he is. This is what he did. And then notice the next phrase, verse 4. Who was declared the Son of God, that's his deity. Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection um, of the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's a declaration of his of his identity as God. The message of of Easter revolves around who Jesus is. He is both man and he's he's both man and God. And it's not just so much what he is, it's what he did as a man. It's what he did as God. That's the message of Easter. So let's dive into this text and look at what Paul is teaching us about the gospel, the good news of God. the the glorious message of Easter. And we begin with just, there's just only uh, two points. First one, verse three. The message of Easter revolves around Christ's humanity. Notice with me verse three. He was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. So that tells us he's a man. However, he's fully human. And that may not seem like a big shock to us. But in the ancient days, in Paul's day, that was the bigger shock. It wasn't difficult to imagine Jesus being God. It was difficult imagining God being a man because a man was sinful. How could God be in a sinful body? Here Paul says, he is, a, he, he is fully man. He was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Now notice a little phrase, a descendant of, of David. Why is he stressing that? Well, that phrase, descendant of David, is very important. And to give you the background, or, or to let you see it, let me give you the background of this little phrase, a descendant of uh, David, we go all the way back uh, to the beginning when God made this world, he entered into a relationship with man. Think about that God is infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Man, being finite, would be less to God than, uh, than an amoeba to us. Do you understand that? That's how uh, uh, the contrast between God and us would be that far apart. And yet God, of all things in this world that he set his love upon, he set it upon man, mankind. And so he entered into a relationship with man, where he would walk with man and talk with man, and man would talk with God, and we would commune and communicate and fellowship. That's what God made man to be. But we know what man did. Adam rebelled against God. And when Adam rebelled, all of mankind in Adam died with him. Right? He rebelled against God in Genesis three, and thus every man. Colossians one twenty one, Paul describes every man's state outside of Christ. You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. That's mankind without Christ. Because of Adam's rebellion, God made us to fellowship with Him, but Adam rebelled. And now mankind became alienated from God, hostile, enemies of God. And even though now it's been thousands upon t- uh, thousands of years that separate us from that, um, uh, from God's uh, creation, when he entered into a relationship with man, which we call a, a covenant. In fact, let me read the verse, Genesis 2. The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. From the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. That's, God entered into a relationship with man based upon that. And from that point on, mankind, all of us in this room, this very moment, relate to God on the basis of a legal standing. Don't miss that. Every individual, animals don't, the earth doesn't, but every human being relates to God has a relationship with God, it's based upon a legal foundation. Either you have fulfilled that command, don't eat of the tree, or you violated that command, don't eat of the tree. Because Adam ate, all of mankind is guilty of violating that original command. And that is why people go to hell. Okay, you've heard me uh, say this. It's not necessarily because they broke the Ten Commandments. They break the Ten uh, Commandments because they violated that first one. We read uh, about that in Scripture. So as through one transgression there resulted a condemnation to all men. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, in Adam all die. Yet God promised to send a Savior, didn't he? You know know the story. Genesis 3, uh, 15, God told, told during the curse... Portion, talking to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Into a, a singular. Talking about Christ. He, Christ, shall bruise you on the head. It's a mortal wound. And you, Satan, shall bruise him on the heel. That's a flesh wound. From Genesis 35 315 uh, 3, on, God promised to send a Savior, a redeemer. Romans 5.19, as through one man's disobedience, there, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of Christ, the many will be made righteous. Isn't that incredible? Through Satan, I'm sorry, through Adam, all had become disobedient. In Christ, we have become obedient. Luke uh, 2.11, that's why when we celebrate Christmas, the coming of Christ, uh, Christ's birth, it was heralded with these words. For today in the city of David, there was born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Incredible. So God promised to send a Savior. Now, how do we know who that Savior is? What would be the thing that sets him apart as being the Savior? Well, the answer throughout all of Scripture is he would be a king who would sit on a Davidic throne. Listen to Psalm 89. I have made a covenant with my chosen I've sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your seed uh, forever and build up your throne to all generations. That is a promise ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ is the descendant of David. So when you read that phrase, that he's a descendant of David, that's a massive statement of identification. For the last, how many thousands of years, God's people up to Romans... Have been waiting for this Redeemer, longing for this Redeemer who would be a descendant of David. And when Paul comes and says, concerning Jesus Christ, let me tell you about him. He's fully man as a descendant of David. That would have been uh, um, this neon sign saying, he's the Savior. This is the Redeemer, is what Paul's saying. Listen Matthew t- uh, 22. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The Son of David. Everyone knew that. So when we say Easter is the celebration of Christ, one half of that is the celebration that Jesus Christ is fully man, and as fully man, he is the promised Messiah, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Savior of God's people. That's what this passage te- uh, tells us. Now, implication. That's who he is. Now, as a man, what did he do? Well, you might come to, your heart might be Hebrews two, uh, 4. Listen to what it says, speaking about his His humanity. Christ is a man. Hebrews 4, Since then we have a great high priest who, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. You know, one of the um, consequences of the fact that Easter is all about the humanity of Christ is that you have a Savior who understands your weaknesses. He understands you and I, our tendency to, to bow our heads in prayer and have our minds wander. He, he understands the burden that religious ceremonies can be to us. I got to go to church. I got to read the Bible. I got to do all these religious things. He understands the struggle with sin. Man, they, they are the things I want to do, I don't, and the things I don't want to do, I do. But I come here and I act so holy and so godly. You see me and you go, hey, Greg, how's it going? I say, great. He's risen. And you're going, man, inside, I want to scream because I'm struggling. But I can't. i got, I got to fake it. He's risen indeed. He understands that. He's been here. He's, he's walked amongst us. He's one of us. Do you understand what the incarnation is? It is an infinite, eternal, and unchangeable being. Now, I'm going to fall way down in my description of it, but imagine infinite, eternal, and changeable being becoming an amoeba for the rest of eternity. You understand? Jesus Christ became a man and will remain a man for the rest of eternity for you. That's how much he loves you. So you think of his humanity, you go, wow, that is the good news. That is the gospel. But what about his role as the descendant of David? For that, if you would, turn to Hebrews 2. You don't have to, but if you want to. Hebrews 2, verse 14. This is describing what Jesus Christ did as the descendant of David. As a man, he sympathizes with our weakness. Glory be to God. That's the message of Easter. You have a Savior who understands your struggles. Amen. Hebrews 2.14, Since then the children share in flesh and blood. Jesus, he himself likewise, also partook of the same. Why? Why did Jesus Christ become a man? That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Easter is the celebration of God coming down and being the deliverer, the promised Savior, Genesis 3.15. Throughout the Old Testament, the Davidic king who would come and do battle with Satan. He would die on the cross, Genesis 3.15. He would die and there render Satan powerless. Conquer Satan, and then, according to Colossians, bring forth a host of captives. Or is that Ephesians? Bring forth a host of of captives from prison to deliver them from their sin. That's one half of the message of Easter. Jesus Christ is that Davidic king. But now we got a problem. God promised to save you. But according to his word, a Savior who would come and deliver us and to pay for our sins, die on the cross in our stead for our death. But instead of that, brothers and sisters, we read in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die. So what 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 we need to be delivered, get this. Okay, if you if you're if you're wandering, come back to me right now. This is important. God entered into a relationship with us at creation. Where if we f- fulfill that responsibility, we live. If we don't, we die. Well, we didn't. Adam did not fulfill it, so all mankind had died. The only way we can be saved, brothers and sisters, is if another human were to be under the same exact agreement, the same exact legal standing, but instead of failing, he fulfilled it. Are you following uh, with me? Right? The only way that you and I cannot go to hell, is if the covenant of works, that relationship that we began with with God, that we violated in Adam, if that's been taken care of. If that's not taken care of, God can love us all day long, but a just God has to condemn us. Just like a just judge would have to say, you're going to prison if you're guilty of murder. Okay? So a, a just God has to condemn us if we're guilty of violating that. So even though Jesus Christ came to the earth and he lived and he was this wonderful being, he doesn't save anyone if he's a son of Adam. Do you understand that? If he is a child of Adam, if Adam represents him, he's born guilty of sin. He can't die for any of us. He has to die for his own sin. But that brings us to the second most incredible statement, back to Romans 1. The message of Easter also revolves around Christ's deity. Notice verse 4. Speaking of Christ, who was declared the Son of God. Literally translated, he was marked off by bounds to be the Son of God. Son of God is a deity title. He was marked off by grounds, demonstrated, proven to be God. And there's no debate about that. John 5, 18, for this cause the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. One of the reasons the Jews wanted to kill Jesus is because Jesus claimed to be God. Hebrews eight, of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Jesus Christ is God. There was no debate about that in the in the ancient world. It really wasn't. It, his, his, his humanity was the problem, not his deity. Everyone accepted that Jesus Christ is, Is God. God came down to the earth. Now, notice Jesus Christ declared to be the Son of God. Would you notice the next phrase? With power. He did it with power. Okay? Let me give you the background behind this. When Jesus Christ came to the world as the Messiah, the Davidic king, do you know what everyone thought that Davidic king was going to be? They didn't think of him doing battle against Satan and our sin, they thought of him doing battle against Rome. That's it. They just wanted someone to make their life a little bit more livable. Get the Romans. That's all that they saw the Messiah as. So when Jesus Christ came to do battle with Satan, Genesis 3.15, to forgive us for our sin, okay, um, when he came to do that, he didn't want people knowing he was the Davidic king. Not at first. So throughout his entire earthly ministry, he kept that hidden. So, for example... We read that um, to the cleansed leper, he said, See to it that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest. Don't, don't tell anybody what I did. Okay? Keep it quiet. John 7, his di- disciples said, Go up to the feast yourselves, are his disciples, his brothers and sisters. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to the feast because my time is not yet yet come. to be the davidic king jesus says no i'm not going to go up there and do that my time has not come but then he went up he hid it even at the triumphal entry you guys know that uh, language right we celebrate the triumphal entry where jesus christ is heralded the messiah hosanna to god of the highest blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord that was a small blip A small opening up of the crack of the door to let people go. He's more than just a nice person. Where was it demonstrated convincingly that Jesus Christ is God? The descendant of David. The Messiah. The Redeemer. Where was it? Well, this text tells us. Notice verse 4. He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. It's incredible statement. The resurrection in the Bible is the proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. You go, wait a second. Weren't there other people resurrected? There were. In fact, there were seven other people, or seven other groupings of people, in the Bible, recorded as having been raised from the dead. And Jesus would be the eighth well, how does that make him God when other people were resurrected? Because, brothers and sisters, there's a small difference. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. Small difference between Jesus' resurrection and the other seven. The other seven were raised by a miracle of God. Jesus Christ rose. Do you know what the difference is? The others were passive, where God went down and raised them. Jesus Christ being dead broke the power of death by himself and rose from the grave by himself. Do you understand that? That's what makes him God. The resurrection is not just that he was raised, it's that he rose. When we sing, he arose, he arose, right? Praise the Lord, he arose. We're saying he broke the power of death by himself and scripture t- uh, teaches that John 2:19 when asked to give him a sign of who he is Jesus answered and said to them destroy this temple speaking of his body and I will raise it up okay apostle's creed says he rose from the dead we confess that he didn't just he just wasn't raised he Rose. And if you want to say he was raised by God, that's fine because he is God. The man person, I'm sorry, uh, the man Jesus was raised by the God Jesus. Right? One person, two natures. But he broke the power of death by himself. John 10, 18, speaking of his life. Christ told the Jews, No one has taken uh, his life, no one has taken away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to To lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from God, my Father. I got this authority from the Father. I, as God, have the ability to raise myself from the dead. That's what makes the the resurrection powerful. With power, He was declared the Son of God. Why? Because He rose by Himself from the dead, He proclaimed Himself to be God. And that is why in the upper room, when Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus, we read, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He worshipped Jesus as God because he saw Christ rose himself from the dead, raised himself from the dead. He broke the power of death. Now let me ask you something. Do you ever read in Scripture of the widow's son of Zarephath being being, uh, called Lord and God, or the Shunammite son in 2 Kings 4, or the widow's son of Nain, Luke 7, or Jairus' daughter, Luke 8, or Lazarus, John 11, or Tabitha, Acts 9, or Eutyches, Acts 20. Did any one of them get the title God and Lord? They were all raised. Why weren't they given that title? Because they were raised. Jesus uh, raised himself. And that's what makes this so amazing. It, it, it proclaims him to be God. Now, what's the significance? Okay, so that's the message of Easter. The message of Easter is one, Jesus Christ is man, the Savior, the descendant of David. Jesus Christ also is God, powerfully demonstrated to be so by the resurrection, which was what we're celebrating and worshiping in light of now. What's the message with regards to the latter? Jesus Christ is God. To that to answer that, one step backwards with regards to background. One of the things that we learned from the fall, Genesis 3, when God made this relationship with man, based upon a legal standing, obey you live, if you don't obey, you die. We didn't obey, we all die, okay? One of the things we learned in the fall was not that man's a fool. Okay, we don't need, we didn't need that, I guess. I, I don't know. We didn't learn that man's a fool, that man's weak. What we learned is that a perfect Man cannot measure up to God's standards. Do you understand that? A perfect man cannot measure up to God's standards. He can't. That's what we learn at the fall. Adam was not a sinner. He was a perfect man. And he couldn't do what God called him to do. Man in his perfection falls short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64 says that our righteousness... The best part of us is as filthy rags before God because God is so awesome. So what do we learn at the fall? A perfect man cannot, human man, cannot attain God's standard. We'll always fall short. Well, then who alone can attain God's standard? Only God can. That's why Matthew 5, 48 says, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Your standard of perfection is God's and none of us can do that. Only God can meet his own standard. Now, don't take that and hear that and go, boy, that doesn't sound fair. D- don't miss it. You're, you're missing it if you go there. Don't go there yet. The only one who can, who can measure up to God's standard is God. So what did God do? He became a man to fulfill the relationship he had with Adam and all of mankind so that we will always be in God's presence. See, he fulfilled that, that mean, for us. That means we will never, ever, ever fall short of God's standard again. Because our standing before God is legal. Either we're, we're, we're innocent or we're not. And innocent of what? Of the covenant of works, Genesis 2. And once that's fulfilled, we'll always be beautiful to God. Always. And you know what the message of Easter is? As a man... He's the Savior. He can identify with you and me. He understands what we're going through. As God, he fulfilled God's standard of righteousness. Incredible. And so because he's a man, he was born under the law, under the covenant of works. As such, he was able to give his life in the place of man, the sinner. Be our sympathetic high priest, Hebrews 4 and fulfill the Old Testament promise of the Redeemer. Listen to Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Listen to it. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, Jesus, born of a woman, fully man, born under the law, the covenant of works, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He was born under the covenant of works to redeem us so that we'd never, ever be guilty before God again. Isn't that incredible? Now, as God, he fulfilled that covenant without blemish. Romans 8, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. God's law was, don't, don't disobey me. It's perfection. But our flesh is Weak. The law could not do. The law, Following the law cannot save us because we're weak. We'll always violate it. And if we violate it one time, we're kicked out. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law, the covenant of works, might be fulfilled in us do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We no longer walk trying to re- do these um, religious activities to make God like us. We now live by faith in Christ. God accepts me today because Jesus Christ came to the earth, fulfilled my original obligation to God, the covenant of works. And then he died in my place. He gave me, he, I'm sorry, he took my death and we took his life. That's our confidence. That's our joy. That's why you and I can never, ever again be cast out of God's presence. We are always going to be with God because we are now perfect in his sight in Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? That's the message of Easter. It's not just the resurrection. A lot of people were were raised. It's the fact that God became a man born under the law, fulfilled that law, and then... um, He folded it because he's God and then he died in our place and we got his We received his life. He received our death. Brothers and sisters, that's the gospel. How do you respond to this? Hebrews says, how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Don't neglect this. I dare say this is the most important hour of your life. Don't neglect this message. How do we not do that? First, we must ask with the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved then? If that if that's the Easter message, what must I do to be saved? How can I get a part of that redemption? And the answer is: believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Now, what does that mean? Believe in the Lord? What? Believe He existed? The demons believe and shudder, James 2. What does it mean believe? That means rely upon. See. Understand the the context. As Americans, we don't have this context. Understand the the context. God set people up for this, redemptively. For 2,000 years, God's people worshiped with a a lamb. When they went to worship God, they knew they were sinners. And so God taught them, even though I'm holy and should cast you out, nevertheless, if you will take a spotless lamb, lay your hands on it, confess your sin, and transfer your sin to that lamb, that lamb can be killed in your place. That's what it means to believe. I mean, if you're going to approach God, on what basis are you going to approach him? On your own good works? Hey, I'm a, a decent person. God will accept me. But if you have one sin, a just God, if you've murdered one, hey, look. <laughs> How about this? Your parents, your daughter brings home the guy. It's like, ooh, my future son-in-law. And you come in, you get to, to know him, you go, yeah, he, daddy he's a football star, and he's a wealthy individual, and... He has all these wonderful things, you know. He has one small flaw. What's that flaw? He's a mass murderer. But, but, but other than that, he's a good guy. You know how many? How many dads are going to sit here and go, oh, how, well? How many murders? You know, how many? Four. Oh, is that all? Well, and how long ago? You know, two months ago. Well, you know what? Two months is not so bad. Come on in. You wouldn't do that. You'd say, get out of my home. Call the, the cops. And yet you're going to expect that God is going to look upon your your murders. Anytime you look with hatred towards another man, your adulteries, every time you look with lust upon a woman, he's going to take your sin lightly and go, oh, it's no big deal. We have that idea, but that doesn't happen. God's a just God and must condemn sin. So the first thing, what do you do? You go, on what basis are you going to approach God? My religious activity. No, none of that's going to cover up your sin. The only thing that can cover up your sin is having Jesus Christ die the death that you deserve because of your sin. And then you getting his life, this glorious transference. And how do you receive that? By simply laying your hands upon the Lamb of God. That's what it means to believe. What must I do to be saved? Believe, rely, say to God, approach God on the basis of that sacrifice not my own. I can do nothing to save myself before God. Only Christ can save me. He's the infinite God man. But if you're already saved, what must you do? Believe in Jesus Christ. Why? How so? What do you mean? Brothers and sisters, do you understand Jesus Christ makes you a fulfiller